When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. It's not easy being the one everyone counts on to keep your operation running, no matter the weather or supply chain hiccup. But we get you Raymond in Buffalo, Maria in Miami, and Jules and Troy, taking control of everything that's under your control. At Granger, we're here for you with high-quality supplies for every industry, plus real-time product availability and access to experts ready to help. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tonight, on a very special episode of Rock and Roll Archaeology, Amit Zappa does a promo. One makes you larger. Pantheon Podcasts presents... From Toronto, Canada. Muses and stuff with your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Part of the Pantheon Network of Podcasts. Music. Culture. Technology. And rock and roll. So grab those backstage passes and let's get to the show. All right. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode. Yes. Of uh, this podcast that you're listening to. <laughs> <laughs> All about the muses. So, how are you doing? Um, I'm okay. Yeah. April is starting off better than March was. Um, I'll be completely honest, March was very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For those listening who aren't in a cold climate, a cold and gray climate, there's this little thing called seasonal affective disorder. Oh, yeah, there is. Sad. I actually just watched the Broad City episode. I don't know if you've seen it. But she gets a sad lamp mm-hmm. and uh, she like keeps having to go to it to like re-energize and then it starts <laughs> to like not work and she needs like more light and more light. And oh, yeah. It was the most relatable episode <laughs> I've ever seen. Yeah. 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 So it's been it's been really um, difficult, but it's starting to get 
blue and sunny here. Not every day, unfortunately, but yeah. we've had a couple. We can see that spring is coming. Yeah. Just a little slow. You wouldn't believe the amount of books and podcasts I'm listening to to just change my mindset as well. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, just having positivity and like getting on the bus and looking the bus driver in the eye and being like, thank you. Or like walking down the street and just, you know, sending blessings to everybody walking by me or just trying to like sprinkle magic dust on, I don't know, anybody that's like working at a cafe or helping me out or anything. So I'm really trying to stay positive. But then like sometimes it just gets to a point where the gas tank just is on empty and there's nothing else left to do winter does that cry yeah (laughs) yeah but we're we're slowly climbing out of it yeah so we have a lot of really fun things to talk about one of them being that the newest member of the pantheon family yes guys miss p miss pamela debar has a podcast yes miss pamela's pajama party yeah what a great name yeah and um you know the cherry on top of all that is that she's on our network Mm -hmm. we're you know keeping this whole thing in the family yeah she's got her first episode up her first guest is miss mercy they got some great stories. She's a great first guest. I was laughing out loud on the bus listening to it. It's a great one. I can't wait to see who all she puts on as guests on her show and, you know, what they get to talking about. Yeah, I mean, I there were some stories that I'd heard before, and then there were brand new stories. Like, there's one point in the podcast when she says, Mercy, that's private. Yeah. And then Mercy's like, oh, sorry, like, you never told anybody that? And she's like, well, I guess it doesn't matter. It was 50 years ago. <laughs> But like you, you're learning new things, yeah. and so it's really fantastic in that sense. So if you haven't checked it out already, go check out uh, Miss Pamela's pajama, pajama party. Yep. We also have some exciting news coming up for mm. me, the muses here. Yeah, yeah, we are building a Patreon. Yeah, so a Patreon is a place that you can go, and if you are loving what we're doing, and if you have been loving what we're doing, and you want some more of it, then you can go to our Patreon, and you can get access to bonus episodes. There's going to be audio, there's going to be video, we can send you stuff in the mail, we can Skype, we can do all these things, and it is going to be for whatever tier you decide to do. So it might be $5 a month, it might be graciously $10 a month, or more, if you have more, and you are this, like, uh, you know that you're abundant, and you want to give more, then we would love that. And remember... That money is currency, and currency is energy. And anything that you put into us, it's going to come back to you tenfold. Exactly. I'm really excited for this. We've been working on some of the bonus material, having so much fun doing it. Uh, That's certainly been a light in these dark ages of winter so yeah plus it gave us something a little bit new like it gave us a a new take on what we have been doing because a lot of the times when we're presenting an episode to you we get right into it we have a lot of stuff to cover and so we're like hey how's it going cool and we jump right in yeah whereas with these episodes you get to learn more about us. Yeah, they're more fun, laid back, but still very informative and interesting. So yeah, we get it's to a good balance. Be ourselves a little bit, kind of relax and let loose, and it's fun. Yeah, so yeah. I think you guys are really going to like that. It's not up yet. We will let you know when that happens. We want to make sure that we're building it and that it's a quality thing and it's ready to go so yeah. we don't launch prematurely and then, you know, there are problems. So soon, though. Very soon. soon. For sure. Okay, so Lynx does not know what I'm going to be presenting today, and I've kept it a secret 
um, just for funsies. So I'm going to tell you why I chose this topic. Okay. But first I'm going to tell you the two topics that I didn't choose. Oh, yes. Okay. So this episode was originally supposed to be about Brigitte Bardot. Mm -hmm. So Bridget Bardot. And I even bought her book and everything. And I sent links a message and we're going to do, I'm going to, we're going to do her. I'm going to do her. I'm going to present her episode in the future. Um, but the reason why I couldn't get to it this time around, because she's kind of problematic. Yes. And we want to address her with um, thoughtfulness. Yeah. Essentially, that's it. Yeah. I want to have all my bases covered. And if, you know, debate comes up about it afterwards, I want to be fully and mentally prepared to be able to deal with that. That needs to be a very well-rounded episode. Exactly. So, And I haven't, and I've been feeling the opposite of that. Like, I haven't been feeling well-rounded for the last month. I've been um, burning the candle at both at both wicks or both ends or however you want to say it. Um, And so I thought to myself, okay, well, why don't I just do something smaller, keep it shorter? I was looking through um, Miss P's book, Let's Spend the Night Together, for some inspiration on all of the muses. And I was like, oh, well, you know, we haven't done Lori Lightning yet. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not doing her either. (laughs) Because I went, okay, yeah, like, she's cool. I can't wait to present. Well... That's the thing. And, like, Lynx is looking at me like, uh, we did that already. That's where my brain is right now. Yeah. That's where my brain is right now. I'm like, I want to talk more about her, but I think it's maybe because, like, I want to interview her. Yes. And so before I even maybe went forwards and even start to thinking, oh, like, we've done that already, I was just like, I'm I'm not in the mindset to talk about 13-year-olds right now either in yeah. the music industry. Yeah. Like, I, I mentally can't handle this debate right now. That's a heavier topic. So let's shelve that. And so the reason why I'm presenting the topic that I am today is because it fills me with joy and it fills me with inspiration and okay. it's on my vision board and it's not a person, but it's a place. Is it Laurel Canyon? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Today I am presenting the story of Laurel Canyon. All right. Because it's a place that is a muse. It's inspired many people. It has inspired many people. And so I have had this book, Laurel Canyon, The Inside Story of Rock and Roll's Legendary Neighborhood by Michael Walker for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I've never read it. I have this book as well. And I read it like 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's been a while. So we're going to go through the story of Laurel Canyon. And um, I mostly just use this book, honestly. And the thing is, with like putting this episode off, I'm going to be completely honest with you guys again. Like, you deserve it. We've been doing this for over 100 episodes. I... I Kept put, I kept trying to start Brigitte. I couldn't do it. I kept looking for other things. I couldn't do it. So I honestly read this book in a couple of days. Yeah, it's a good one. And then and I, inspiring. I typed up the episode in then another day. So here's the thing, though, is that I want to be putting out quality episodes every time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want to get my facts wrong. However, and we know what happens when we rush, right? Yeah, we do. We have to do corrections. We have to do these. So I just want to let everybody know that I tried my best 
And uh, I'm not a music historian, but I did read this book. I tried to get the facts right as much as possible. If there's any little things that, um, you know, I got wrong, go ahead, let us know, tweet us, send us an email, and I'll try my best to correct it. But essentially, moving forwards, I'm going to be dedicating myself to this podcast totally. Uh, That's great. And you've dedicated yourself for 100 episodes. So don't, (laughs) I mean, give yourself credit. Yeah. So I gave my resignation. I'm no longer going to be teaching. That's so exciting. I'm finishing off three more months. It's going to be strong. I have a fantastic class and a wonderful school, but it's not fair to have one foot in the classroom and one foot in podcasting. And so we're going to move forwards and... A new adventure at wait. I'm not going to be sending the episode last minute to our sound engineer being like, sorry, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I've been having such a hard time. You know, like it's, it's time, guys. It's and time. maybe we'll talk more about that in like a Patreon, like a more, you know, how it's been, yeah. a more personal thing. But let's get to the episode, okay? All right, let's go. So... I've always wanted to go to Laurel Canyon. Um, I've never been to California. I've never really been west. Um, you you haven't either, right? No, not. I, Laurel Canyon's high on my list as well. Yeah. You know, we've talked about places that have been inspiring, like Greenwich Village, but it was because we were talking about a certain person mm-hmm. and how that place influenced them at the time, but never just the place in general. Um and so this place really like inspired a kind of movement movement as well. Um, yeah. One thing that you'll be interested to know is that Pamela and Michael Debar have tons of quotes in this book. Oh, yeah. So I'm wondering if they know the author. If Michael Walker they probably and the Debars by him for sure. Yeah, are are buds. Um, so yeah, this author has written a lot about popular culture, and according to the about the author of the book, he still lives in Laurel Canyon. Nice. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found funny, and this is an aside from the book, is that um, one of my favorite current artists, Father John Misty, spent some time in Laurel Canyon, but he only ended up there because he thought he was going to Topanga Canyon. (laughs) (laughs) So he has a song called I Went to the Store One Day, which is written about how he met Emma, uh, his wife. And so he was buying coffee and cigarettes, firewood and bad wine when he met the love of his life. It's a beautiful song. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I really like how it kept on inspiring people as the time as you know not just a 60s thing yeah for sure um fun fact i i found from uh an article in the the citizen is that jennifer anison used to work at the canyon store oh yeah um i actually was thinking about doing um just like the laurel canyon store as the muse itself i'm like that's stupid i'm just gonna do the whole the whole, the place. whole place. That's where my mind was. Um, so David Itzkoff of the New York Times Book Review calls this book a winding, inviting portrait of a bohemian quarter that played a prominent role in the foundation of rock music. Nice. It's like our women, though. Yes, right? Absolutely. They played a prominent role in the foundation of rock music. Absolutely. Yeah. 
The book's fairly linear, so we kind of start off in 1968, and to set the scene, Laurel Canyon is described as the slightly seedy, camp-like neighborhood of serpentine, one-lane roads, precipitous hills, fragrant eucalyptus trees, and softly crumbling, crumbling bungalows. We have Lookout Mountain in the heart of Laurel Canyon, a house owned by Joni Mitchell, where Crosby, Stills, and Nash first sang together. A mile away at that time was Cass Elliott, better known as Mama Cass, of the Mamas and Papas. Mm-hmm. Not too far from one another. Um, yeah, so as I mentioned, Josh Tillman of Father John Misty was certainly not the first one to write about this magical place. Um, we also know that Graham Nash wrote Our House about living in Joni's cottage with her. And Joni wrote Ladies of the Canyon about this strange yes. bohemian Netherland. Yes. It was a place where the right musicians, the right artists gathered at the right moment in music history. Mm-hmm. And um, some of these musicians were transplants. Joni Mitchell's Canadian, right? And then other people would come to stop by. Mickey Dolan's lived there um, of the Monkees. The Beatles would stop by. We have that fabulous story about Marianne Faithful and Mick Jagger stopping by the Zappas. So a lot of people have stopped by and hung out there over the years. Musicians who have lived there include Frank Zappa. And we talk about that a lot in a few episodes. Yeah. Um, specifically the Pauline Butcher Bird one, Mm -hmm. because she was a secretary who lived there. But Jackson Brown, Chris Hillman, Roger McGuinn, Glenn Fry, Don Henley, Mickey Dolenz, the list goes on. Jim Morrison. Mm -hmm. Well, this book says, like, it never said that he actually lived there, but he maybe, yeah, okay. Because Miss P has that great story about wandering in the canyon and yeah coming across was that his home though or was May- he just like maybe it was pamela's maybe not day bar yeah. yeah um walker says the musicians flocking to the canyon at night caterwauling coyotes and hooting owls made you marvel that you were only five minutes from the noise and the neon of the sunset strip so jackson brown um said that it was like a tribal life living there it's exciting. Imagine being there in the 60s. Well, that's what I did when I read this book. You know, I just really tried to picture myself there. Um, Graham Nash felt as if he had reached nirvana. He was in love with Joni Mitchell, had this budding relationship with David and Stephen, and they were living and breathing music. So yeah, like what a time. Um, it definitely attracted a certain kind of people. And back then, it's my understanding that it had reasonable rent prices. Everywhere back in the day had reasonable <laughs> rent prices. <laughs> what happened? Mm, yeah. So um, there was an incredible swath of popular culture, which was created in a very short time. And I really like this quote. Um, he said that their serendipity was spun into gold. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so it was a place, a time when a handful of history's most willful and self-absorbed young adults made such beautiful music together. Um, in 1964, so I guess I'm going back a little bit, Chris Hillman rented a house on Kirkwood Drive. He would have no idea at the time what an impact his music or his band 
would have on rock and roll history. And so the folk stars of the early 60s would become the new rock stars. Mr. Tambourine Man was a hit that maybe got everything kind of rolling up on that mountain, some might say. And then there would be that L.A. sound perfected by Crosby, Stills and Nash, the Eagles that would come later, Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt, and then they would all dominate for the next decade. Um, but Walker, the author, says that it all started in 1965 with the birds. So the book provides a great, like, great backstory. So, for example, where Chris Hillman grew up and how he got there. And so because we're going to do the canyon, like, as an overall muse, we're not going to go into quite specific details of every individual artist. Mm -hmm. But if you did want to know that and you wanted to get into the details of things, go ahead and pick up the book. I recommend it. It was a good book. It was a great read. So Hillman was inspired by the Beatles, and this was at a time when the music industry was run by guys who were music guys. Yeah. Right? There was no corporate monsters yeah. eating everything up. So it was an innocent time. Um, Walker says it was the Mecca. So it was in Los Angeles in the mid-1960s that Laurel Canyon, by unconscious lottery of the hip, became the place where every heads-up young musician just knew he had to live. Or, or she. We had some ladies. Um, it was perfect for the musicians who wanted to live away from all, from all of the hustle and bustle, but still be with their kind, the like-minded people. Um, the rent was cheap, yet Hillman's view stretched from downtown Los Angeles all the way to the Pacific. Wow. Can you picture that? Wow. Kim Fowley, an early L.A. rock producer and entrepreneur, said... Everyone else in the folk rock community decided they'd move up there, too, because you could smoke dope and get laid and be an asshole with your Porsche convertible, convertible out of the prying eyes of the man. <laughs> All right, Kim. Yeah. John Phillips of the Mamas and Papas was the one to pen the lyric, Young Girls Are Coming to the Canyon. Yeah. And boy, did they. So Pamela makes an appearance in the book within... 11 pages Amazing. she's she's begun being quoted page 11 honestly this is maybe where i read her name for the first time now that i think about it because i bought this book when i was in like early university before i had known about her it's possible that wow. i saw her name for the first time in this book that's, that's weird awesome. that that just came back to me and she's described as a 17 year old proto groupie have we ever discussed that word before no. I don't think we've ever heard it or said it before. No. Proto-groupie. Yeah. She was the... She was the groupie. The first make and model. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's a new word we haven't discussed, which is kind of fun. So, she, you know, would hitchhike to Laurel Canyon from Rosita. Um, you know, and this we've told, and she's told it, it's in her book, but she used to call it God's Golden Backyard. And like you said, excellent stories about Jim Morrison, the backbend in the living room, being the governess to the Zappa's kids. And she would just find the addresses of rock stars and just go there. Just show up. Imagine a world where you could just do that and be welcomed. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Everyone was so welcoming back then, too. Yeah. Michael DeBar called it the yellow brick motherfucking road to Oz. <laughs> <laughs> nice one he's such a wordsmith um yeah and a lot of these artists ended up getting like very famous and making a lot of money it's interesting how 
in almost every kind of genre or decade, there is that place, you know? Yeah. Uh, in New York, like the punk movement has, you know, CBGBs and Max's Kansas City, or you can go to like Seattle for the grunge movement, you know? It's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then this is like, well, we can say, well, this had the whiskey a go go and like the rainbow. But it's, I think what's like really special is that it's like, it's a neighborhood. It's yeah. Homes, exactly. it's houses. So I'm going to read you a little passage. Laurel Canyon, meanwhile, was still in its idyllic phase, as for the moment, the nascent peace and love aesthetic obscured the mercantile distractions beginning to visit more and more of its inhabitants. The canyon's rugged granite walls and cool, quiet night air, sweetened with jasmine and acacia blossoms, I don't know if I said that right, only five minutes from the mammon of the Sunset Strip, provided a reassuring physical and psychological barrier for musicians steeped in the Egitalian era's egalitarianism of folk music and lately the back to the land ethos of the hippies hillman has an indelible memory of coming off the road in the winter most likely after the 1966 tour in support of turn 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 and reacclimating himself to the canyon's rhythms it was like january or february and had just rained in la he recalls the cab stopped and there was a eucalyptus tree down across the road i literally had to climb over the tree with my bag to get down to the house Wow. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. So while it's like beautiful, idyllic, all these things, it um, there's a lot of fires in Laurel Canyon's history as well. And Hillman's house was one of the houses that burned down. Um, and he goes into interesting detail, like which is for mu- music buffs about specific dates and about Hillman specifically, like and when he joined um, Grant Parsons and the Flying Burrito Brothers. And if there's any young people listening and who are like, who are the Flying Burrito Brothers? You should check, check them out. out. Check them and out. And you should like go to your art school and be like, hey, you guys want to hear something cool? And then you'll be the coolest. So how did Laurel Canyon get its name? Well, in 1910, an engineer and speculator named Charles Spencer Mann sold house lots halfway up the canyon. The steeply sloped land was thick uh, with chaparral, sycamore, and California bay laurel, a jasmine-like flower. Ah, makes sense. Yeah. I love the name Laurel, and I think it's like a beautiful name. Except one time, I had this boyfriend. Oh, no. <laughs> and he started hanging around with this beautiful girl named Laurel. No! And I was like, I think you like her. And he was like, I don't like her. She's just my friend. And I was like, but I think you like her. And he was like, I don't like her. She's just my friend. Did he like her? We broke up and then they started dating a week later. <laughs> He liked her. He liked her. Of course he would. She was beautiful. And, and her, her name, name was Laurel. Laurel. <laughs> in 1968, the 28-year-old Frank Zappa paid $700 a month to live in a log cabin with a bowling alley underneath. Um, how, how much again? $700 a month. To live in that big log cabin. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We'll wait till you remember what Gail says about it. Um... And we know people would crash there, they would play there, Walker says. But in that brief moment, the log cabin, as it was known to every freak from Sherman Oaks to Hollywood, rages a rock and roll salon and Dionysian playground where groupies were gentrified into recording artists and talents as imposing as Mick Jagger and Jeff Beck and as whimsical as Alice Cooper were stabled, jam-sessioned, fed, and filleted while the undisputed master of the house reigned as freak daddy of the whole show. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to guess his tone because artists is in 
quotes. quotes. And then just being like, you know, groupies being gentrified, fed and filleted. Hmm. That's interesting. For sure. It sounds like a fun house to be in. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, yeah. So it was huge, cavernous. There were no locks on the door. Uh, Gail Zappa describes it as having the oldest eucalyptus tree in Southern California that have overshadowed the property and also that it was insanity. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. There was never any parking, so people parked all the way up the canyons, but the cops didn't really seem to bother them there at that time anyways. There are a few pages of the description of the GTOs. And Vito, remember him? Yes. Also known as Captain Fuck. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the same things that you can find in Miss P's book. There's a lot of overlap. Um, okay. Side note. There's a new book out that I haven't read, but I've heard that it's almost exactly like Miss P's book, but it's like fiction. And then there's reviews about it being like... Oh, is this that Daisy yeah, or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody picked it up for, like, a movie. Oh, yeah. But it's about, like, a female singer, I think. Though okay. I guess the GTOs were technically musicians as well. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah, they were. If you listen to Miss P's first podcast, they play a lot of the GTOs music. Maybe we'll read the and book. And it's like, holy man, we should read it. And we should read Patreon it. And do a Patreon on it. We should. And um, But it's being hailed as, like, this, like, new and, like, innovative and all these things. And Pamela's just like, hello. <laughs> well, she's still inspiring people. She's the greatest muse, right? Hell Yeah. Um, where was I? Okay, so Pamela describes the kind of people that were hanging out there at the time and um, talking about the freaks. And, you know, that's like a, it's a good word. Positive. It was a positive thing. Just like groupie was a positive thing. So a freak was someone who put a lot of care and intention into their appearance. Um, we need to do a photo shoot, like you said. A freak photo shoot? A freak photo shoot. Yeah. You know, lace and hair and makeup, hair and, and clown makeup. Yeah. Um. Before the GTOs had that name, do you remember what they were called? I don't. The Laurel Canyon Ballet Company. Oh yeah, that's right. They would wear diapers, bibs, dress up like trees, and then you know Frank got them together, and he was like get you organized yeah let's make some music and like i said if you have never checked out the gto's music do it it's amazing if they were playing music in 2019 people's heads would be exploding in a good way so let's go back to gail zappa she says laurel canyon has historically attracted musicians and people very highly involved in the arts mm -hmm. yeah for sure um i was thinking we should stay there. In Laurel Canyon? Yeah. And so I was like, I wonder if they have Airbnbs. And they went, I hope they don't have Airbnbs. They must. They do. I found a place for $96 a night Canadian. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll go. Apparently, once Frank Zappa left his place, Eric Burden of the Animals lived there. But the grounds ended up becoming seedier, the drugs got harder, things got louder and darker before the house eventually burned down in 1981 on Halloween night. Wow. 
Pamela talks about how sad it was to lose that place and how she can still picture Frank up there in his striped shirt and flowered bell bottoms with a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. How so much the- fun would it have been to, like, got to hang out with Frank Zappa, though? Hmm. Right? Only in my dreams at this point, you know? And that apparently you can... fun time. Yeah, the subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between reality yeah so i think if you just picture yourself there then you're there there. (laughs) so the author gets into the culture of the 1960s going back to like the modern revolt of the the modern's revolt um of the 20s comparing them both as rejections of the victorian past saying that the 60s were a slap in the face awakening the slumbers of the 50s Hmm. and of course rock music was the glue that bound this generation together Again, like the Kinetic Circus in Chicago, the Fillmore in New York, in San Francisco, and the Whiskey Go-Go in L.A., the musicians of this generation knew that they were in the right place at the right time. Yeah, they were. This book is really great for going on about how various members of various bands met. For example, the Mamas and Papas. Like, if you don't know how they got together, this book explains it. Um, but since, again, this is overall conversation, we won't go into the specific details. But let's talk a little bit about Mama Cass. Let's. T- okay. I love Mama Cass. So her house was a neutral place, which, you know, in a place that many of the men, like, their egos were just kind of getting larger and larger. And they were trying to sleep with the women who were there, whether they were fans or musicians themselves or, like, Michelle Phillips uh, or groupies. But because, well, this is what he says anyways, because Mama Cass was, like, a motherly figure, yeah. the place was neutral ground. Okay. Interesting. Um, so it wasn't a crash pad. Yeah. People couldn't just show up unannounced, but she always had food in the fridge in, cl- in case anybody wanted to drop in, and people like David Crosby often did. Mm. So she was respected as an artist and a singer, but also for bringing people together. She was one of those people who knew who needed to be introduced to whom and who would go- sound amazing singing with whom. Amazing. Yeah. There were, of course, photographers that hung around. For example, Henry Diltz, who did a lot of Eric Burden's album covers. Mm. So many of the encounters were serendipitous, but I'll tell you about a particularly star-studded barbecue that Mama Cass had for Eric Clapton. She invited David Crosby, who invited Joni Mitchell, and Mickey Dolenz. There's photos of this. Where did we see this? Because this is exactly what I was going to say. I've definitely seen these photos. Okay, so <laughs> I was going to mention that not only have we seen photos, we've seen Mickey Dolenz's videotapes. Not tapes, but like he filmed some things. But the thing is, is like in the background, there's like Joni Mitchell and Eric Clapton, and he's off to the side filming flowers. <laughs> And he, and then later he's like, oh, oops. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not even 100% sure if it was him or if that was the situation because we take in so much content. Yeah. Honestly, it's hard to remember exactly. We'll have to ask Jackie. But I seem to recall, it, like, somebody had a video camera. Didn't think to capture the didn't people. Didn't think the- to capture. <laughs> but it's like, oh, these flowers are so nice. But that was them just being in the moment, too. Like, actually, that was them how probably high as that? well. And also high. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So the next thing that I'm going to read is just a little bit about the passing of um, 
Mama Cass. Mama Cass. Yeah. Her voice was so incredible. Yeah. Her death was devastating to those she had nurtured in the L.A. rock scene. In a canyon filled with footloose, emotionally dysfunctional young men and women, she had fulfilled, wittingly or not, the role of indulgent matriarch, albeit a hip and acid-tested one. Laurel Canyon, says Burden, was a place in the middle of this big city that people escaped to. Many of these people didn't really have family scenes of their own. They'd never had the experience of a family. I think people found in those early days the family they'd always wanted. Now, the bosomy mother who tended to them all was gone. Aww. Yeah. And then Nash says, it's very interesting that she really didn't take care of her own relationships with the same kind of care she took care of other people's relationships. Whenever things were not going right, or when they were, we'd go over to Cass's house. I was just drawn to this woman. She was a magnificent creature. Oh. Oh, Mama Cass. Yeah. Yeah. So Graham Nash says that it was because of her that he met his wife and, you know, had his kids. Wow. By 1968, it was becoming harder to embrace the sex, love, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle because of everything that was going on in the world. You know, Makes sense. Yeah. War in Vietnam, assassination of Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr., and, like, full-on, like, riots. Yeah. Things were starting to get darker. But I want to remember how Laurel Canyon was... And so we're just going to end the episode here. The end. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll go on. Um, even though, so at this time, Laurel Canyon seemed like it was a retreat. It was physical and spiritual um, place from the increasingly troublesome world. L.A. was a hopeful place at the time. Celebrities were walking around everywhere. It seemed attainable. Um, people could get a record deal, even if it was only for one album. And it seemed doable. Yeah. So marijuana was really popular, and then LSD became really popular. People would take it, make music, go down to the store, run into someone, smoke a joint, go to a club. They just followed their nose, so to speak. Yeah. Depending on who you ask, there are people in the book who called the artists elitists, um, saying that they were cl there were cliques and that among all of the eucalyptus, you just had boring people with egos there. Hmm. But on the other hand, you know, you had the monkeys hanging out with the turtles, hanging out with the doors, and like, that's pretty cool. Do you want to hear a little bit about the day in the life? Or please. A day in the life in a Laurel Canyon. Life. All right. As these discomfitting social agendas evolved, the canyon still offered the compelling daily pleasures of leafy surroundings, unstructured lives, and the omnipresent fog of marijuana. Everybody would be in the living room with the stereo turned up full blast and wine bottle candle burning over the spool coffee table. Every now and then, someone would try to get the candle to drip where it needed more wax. We'd pass around the joint. Someone would say, wow. <laughs> or somebody would say that they were hungry, and we'd drive downtown where they made bagels, and you could go at five in the morning and get them hot. Fowley sneers at the hindsight of... Beautiful sunsets, lovely mornings with the succulent smell of jasmine, the meadows golden, the dreams never ending. It's funny because I always picture Kim Fowley as this like crazy rock and roll dude, like cre help create the runaways. I don't picture him as this like Laurel Canyon free mm -hmm. spirit, you know, mm -hmm. I guess he had many different phases in his life as well. 
Yeah. If we want to, and if you want to think like, okay, what was Laurel Canyon like before everybody moved in? Well, there is a couple of people in the book who talk about having grown up around Laurel Canyon and that the free loving, unconventional lifestyles like weren't invented by these musicians. It was so secluded and full of nature and caves that you could just walk around naked if you wanted to. So these so musicians sort of found this place that was already special. They didn't yeah. make it special. Yeah. In the sense of like, it was always this almost like, this like Eden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, with every Eden, you know, yeah, it changes. So Stephanie Spring also grew up in this area, and by age thirteen, it was just another day to see Janis Joplin or start dropping acid. And she actually worked in the music industry, including Elektra Records, and said this: in 1970, you could still hang out at the Canyon Store, sit on the wall, smoke cigarettes, and talk. There was always a guitar. There was always an all-night jam. take me back (laughs) um the author even talks to a young roadie who at the time like just showed up in laurel canyon one day and was totally invited in um the young roadie says that one night he was outside the whiskey and a young woman appeared out of the strips nightly carnival she just took my breath away she was the most beautiful girl you had ever seen in your life flowers in her hair gorgeous and sweet it was Pamela. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> so there's a picture of this guy in the book, and he's also super cute looking. And the GTOs ended up taking him in and hung out with him. And he was just like a drifter who found himself in the right place. And I like the idea of thinking about him as a roadie. Because you tend to think about, like, roadie as, like, as, like, older and, like, hey, dude. <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> I'm so tired from (laughs) building so many stages. But they always have a heart of gold. Anywho. um, Yeah, he says, the trees would hang down. I'm so tired. (laughs) You can tell. (laughs) Okay, sorry. He says, the way the trees would hang down with their big, long leaves, it would be hazy, smoggy, with the golden light coming through the branches that hovered over the whole thing. It was just as magic as could be. I swear I saw fairies flying around Laurel Canyon because everybody had wings. So Walker talks about the evolution of the hippie manager to actual business people coming in and changing the music industry. So again, if you want a more in-depth understanding of how the music industry changed, you know, the record industry, all of that, it's in the book. He has specific names. He has specific dates. It was interesting. I had to leave it out. As we know... Graham Nash and Joni Mitchell, Mitchell had a relationship, so there's that romantic side of making music together, being in Laurel Canyon together, and um, you know just the camarad the camaraderie of everyone else going up and around the canyon and just playing each other their new music. Joni Mitchell has said, "Ask anybody in LA, you know where the craziest people are, and they'll say Laurel Canyon. And where's the craziest street?" Lookout Mountain. So there we were, Elliot, myself, and a whole lot of us strung all the way through the canyon. The Eagles came in later, and it was quite a neighborhood. Yeah, it was. Have you ever wondered what Joni Mitchell's house might have been like? Absolutely. Well, I can tell you. Please. Um, Maybe it's a little bit different than what you would imagine. Maybe it's exactly what you imagine. But anyways, here it is. 
Mitchell's house was set back from the street against the hillside with a smaller cottage in front. The exterior was covered with cedar shakes painted pale green. The interior sported tongue-and-groove knotty pine ceilings and floors. A reporter from the New York Times visiting in 1969 described it as lovingly cluttered with two cats, soon to be immortalized in Nash's Our House, a stuffed elk's head, stained glass windows, a grandfather clock given to Mitchell by Leonard Cohen, a king's head with a jeweled crown sticking out from the brick fireplace, votive candles, blooming azaleas, a turkey made of pine cones, dried flowers, old dogs, Victorian shadow boxes, and an ornamental plate from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Oh. Yeah. Um... A reporter from Rolling Stone visiting the same year painted a scene of countercultural domestic bliss. Nash perched on an English church chair in the living room while Mitchell busied herself in the kitchen making a crust for a rhubarb pie. Yet for two intense personalities on the verge of literally fame and fortune, living in what was, for all of the hand-sewn hippie accoutrements, a smallish, gussied-up hunting shack, the atmosphere was increasingly claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah and then nash kind of goes on being like we shared the piano it was like when was it my turn then it was her Uh, turn and yeah it's lovely right and so at this point things are getting like a little bit darker and this was immortalized in um joni mitchell's song ladies of the canyon because she's getting richer right yeah kind of everybody is of course um now me i play for fortunes and those velvet curtain calls i've got a black limousine and two gentlemen escorting me to the halls and i play if you have the money or if you're a friend to me but the one man band by the quick lunch stand he was playing real good for free hmm interesting yeah point in the book the author gets into charles manson great so he provides the brief brief biography and you know as we know we have the tarantino movie coming out which i'm really excited about and i won't go into the details but just you know this what did they have to do with laurel canyon um they um i forget the name of the canyon might start with a b but canyon or something um but the family was uh I guess committed the LeBianca and Tate murders not too far from this. Okay. Plus a lot of them had had run-ins with him. Yeah. Or like even Pamela, for example, um, had an encounter, like like a tiny little romantic encounter with one of the boys Mm. in the Manson family. So they were kind of around. Um, And, you know, this was... While people left their doors open, everyone was invited to parties. People could just drop in. And then, you know, this guy who couldn't break into the music industry, Charles. who still had followers, yeah. yeah, took people to a really dark and terrible place. Yeah, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to take place in Laurel Canyon to incite fear in all homes in L.A. at that point. Yeah. Areas like that. Yeah. Um, once Manson was charged, uh, paranoia increased and like a lurking dread appeared. So also like the darker times came, like there was Altamont, cocaine started getting big, eagers were growing, testosterone was raging, everybody wanted something. And it was, uh, Pamela is quoted as saying cocaine ruined everything. Hmm. And that Laurel Canyon never really recovered from it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Different drugs incite different emotions in people 
Yeah. And because Laurel Canyon was built on social relationships, what happens when people do cocaine? Does that really do much for a social relationship? No. Not really. Michael DeBars was saying that at one point the drug dealers in Laurel Canyon had valet parking. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie Wonderland? About Yeah. Yeah. That's a good movie. John Holmes? Yeah. 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 And Val Kilmer plays him. Excellent yeah. soundtrack. It is. Um... Jackson Brown actually performed a different version of cocaine that went like this. Look at me now, sharp as attack, except for a few billion brain cells I wouldn't mind having back. There was damage to the body, damage to the soul, damage to the quality of rock and roll cocaine. Hmm. Morgana Welch, did yep. I say that right? Yep. Uh, makes an appearance in this book. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about her. Oh, I have her book. Okay. We should do an episode. Well, uh, 100%. I'm like, we should do an episode. But it was fun to learn a little bit about her. And what I did learn about her, well, the the author describes her as white, stunningly attractive, overprivileged, and undersupervised. Yep. Um, when she got on the scene, even though she had looked up to the GTOs and they were, um, the GTOs were her inspirations, she considered them old and has-beens. Mm. so she was like 17 she was sort of part of sable and laurie's group yes yeah so she was like 17 pamela was like in her 20s approximately i'm saying and then she was talking about laurie and sable showing up who were even younger Younger. yeah right and so funny enough because i was like oh i don't want to get into it but then i'm reading this and she's describing things in a really interesting way um she talks about the competitiveness and that iconic photo of Sable on the left, Lori on the right, Robert Plant kind of yep. in the middle. Morgana had just taken a puff of her cigarette. And apparently that photographer had gotten kicked out for taking that picture. Oh, really? Yeah. That's and then so she was surprised to see it like years later on somebody's living room wall. Wow. Yeah. So that photo like was never supposed to be taken. And apparently like Lori and Sable jumped in at the last minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that's pretty funny. And they were saying like, oh, well, Robert Robert Plant is looking unhappy in it because um, what if his wife saw that photo? Yeah. 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 So that's pretty funny. Um, so I'm going to read you a little bit just about the groupie path. But she had a really like a lot of really awesome and interesting things to say. Yeah. She has a book called Hollywood Stories, I think. Well, just based on these like couple of chapters. I want to know more. Um, So she says, that was the place our appetites got wedded. I think Three Dog Night was one of the first bands we ever came in contact with at the teenage fair. And one of them went off with my girlfriend. So it was a place where young girls could get their look at rock stars and rock stars could get their look at young girls. That was my initiation into the potential for being a groupie. That it was a viable path. Three Dog Night must have had a lot of groupies because my dad has told me a story about a friend of his back then who was a huge Three Dog Night fan and she had a goal of sleeping with the whole band and she <gasps> did. Oh, wow. Yep. Cool. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about more about the groupie culture too and, and about the younger generation okay. that was coming in. And this is the author uh, writing. These new groupies, as often as not, barely out of adolescence, were aware of their complicity in the contract and, at least at first, welcomed it. We loved the decadence, says Morgana. Morgana? Morgana. Morgana. 
it was kind of a dichotomy because we knew in some ways we were very innocent. And that's where the whole sex thing came in. Being very sexual and willing to experiment sexually, there was a power in being able to provide fulfillment of fantasies of these men in power that were older than me. Sex was used as a power play, and the more you had, the more you got. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Definitely. We'll check her out some more. And Michael DeBar says that this is what America epitomized to him. Um... She also talks about how Led Zeppelin was attracted, how attract, how Led Zeppelin attracted the women in droves, and even the waitresses would try to get them. Of course, like they would spill drinks on the other <laughs> girls. She would get them bounced. And Morgana said it was cutthroat. She says it was territorial. These guys were big prizes. Hmm. Yeah. So let's move on a little bit. Just like let's kind of start wrapping this up into the seventies, early seventies. Um, you know, the glam scene, New York, musicians moving out of Laurel Canyon, drug dealers moving in, post-Manson, pre-punk, but the musicians from the canyon were still doing amazing. Like in 1974, Johnny Mitchell had one of her biggest hits with Court and Spark. Linda Ronstadt had Heart Like a Wheel in 74, and Jackson Brown had The Pretender in 76. I guess you can only really have that camaraderie when you're not as big you know, when you're not all touring at the same time and, you know, when you're younger and you don't have families and everything, you know, that was a special moment. They, they, that was their youth. That was, you know, as they were building up something, it, it nothing can last forever, right? You got that right. So the music industry continued to change, continued to change quickly. The peaceful, easy feelings of the Eagles first records grew progressively darker. So people either pulled themselves out of the seediness or moved in deeper. And like you said, it's impossible to stay like that forever. People needed to move on. Like Joni Mitchell could not keep living in a tiny cabin. Yeah. And then as we know, um, you know, in the early 80s, a new generation of post-punk LA bands began frequenting the Sunset Strip and the Whiskey. And I'm pretty sure Nikki Six lived in the canyon for a while. Guns N' Roses claimed the rainbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Walker says Laurel Canyon lives on. And that, to this day, it hasn't changed much. It neither overindulges its past nor calls much attention to its present. It simply is. And we will end on a quote by Michael, Michael DeBar. Laurel Canyon is a consciousness rather than a physical place. Like the Chateau Mormont or Carnaby Street, it transcends geographics. That's beautiful. Well, let's go there. Okay. Well, thank you for that. That was good. No problem. <laughs> it was it was fun to read. Um, I just cannot wait for that sunshine. And so that was a big reason too. I was just like, just tell just tell me about the eucalyptus again. Yeah. When you read books that Tell take me place, about the trees. Yeah, it's just so beautiful. It takes you there. Uh, and you took me there, so thank you. Oh, no problem. And so hopefully that inspired um, a few people, you know, and I just, uh, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I love all of our listeners. And um, I think it's time to just go sit in a nice Epsom salt bath. Yeah, and stay tuned because we got some really exciting things coming. So we really do. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for sticking with us through the good times. 
and the bad <laughs> no it hasn't been bad you know how it is guys it's life it's life it's a life all right thanks for listening see you next time see you next time Newses and Stuff is produced by Chantelle Lemieux and Link Solar. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.